we are going to look at some wisdom because I think we need it. And so over the course of the summer, we're going to be exploring some of the wisdom books from a very high level. We'll take one Sunday for Job. Brace yourself. There's some advanced reading you need to do before you get here. No, so we're going to look at a very high level of some of the wisdom literature and trying to gain a little bit of wisdom as we go. But here's my invitation. Starting on Wednesday, July the 13th, we are going to have a discussion, discussion and prayer group here at 7 p.m. It just lasts for about an hour, and we get together and talk through some of the topics, and then we'll pray together. We've done this a couple of times before and had great turnout. So if you'd like to come, it'd be awesome if you'd register. So go to the website, you can register, then we know to prepare a seat for you. We actually build the seat just for you. Um, but if you don't feel like registering, just show up and bring donuts, and we would be greatly appreciated. Okay, let's get into it. Wisdom. Before we get into the books of wisdom, uh, in the coming weeks, we need to pause for a minute and say, what are we talking about? What is wisdom all about? Isaac Asimov was not a Christian. <laughs> uh, he was not a man of faith, but he had some very insightful things that he said, and here's one of them. The saddest aspect of life right now is that science gathers knowledge faster than society gathers wisdom. What do you think about that? The saddest aspect of life right now is that science gathers knowledge faster than society gathers wisdom. We have incredible access to information, don't we? I mean, when you're at a dinner and, and you have guests over and you have a bit of a debate, you're debating how old actually is Tom Cruise, you don't have to guess. You could, I could do it right now. Hey Siri, how old is Tom Cruise? See, she's not active because I turned her off. You should turn your phones off in church. But when you're at the dinner table, right, uh, you don't have to guess anymore because we have incredible access to information. It takes the guesswork out of things. It's amazing. Uh, we have these things called cell phones. Most of us have smartphones now, and we use them for all kinds of information. We share information, we create information, we put information on social media that we shouldn't sometimes. We do all kinds of things, and occasionally we make a phone call on our phone. I know my girls are always surprised when their phone rings, and I'm actually calling them. They're like, hello? What? Why are you calling me? It's like, because it's a phone. But we use them for all kinds of information. That's the ready access we've come to expect. But not only information, we have incredible knowledge. Like the knowledge of the world and the universe that we have right now, we even know the things that we don't know. <laughs> we know the things that we need to ask questions about. Like knowledge has expanded in such a way that we can't even keep up. And then technology, on top of it all, right? Who's able to keep up with the technological advances of today? But the question is, have we grown in wisdom to match the increase in information and knowledge and technology. Last month, we heard the news that a Google engineer was put on leave for saying that Google's chatbot has become sentient. That's a real story, you know? And then uh, I was just reading recently and watching on YouTube that the idea of robot soldiers, it's not science fiction anymore. <laughs> it's happening. As my wife, Christine, often says, have these people never watched Terminator? Like, honestly, I'll be back. Right? Skynet, it's coming, it's here. 
I should uh, at least cause us some pause and some concern and say, where's the wisdom in all this? Just because we can do something doesn't mean we should do something. Is this wise? And that's what we have to ask ourselves. But it's not just in the realm of geopolitics and technology that's out there. It's in our own lives that we have to ask these questions, right? It's even in our own congregation, in our own church fellowship. I know the last uh, couple of years, as we went through different pandemic restrictions, and we had to shift very quickly to technology that honestly we had never used before. I was so thankful we had Samuel, who didn't know how to use it either, by the way, but he's smart. And so he learned quickly and quickly moved us into a capacity of being able to live stream, be able to record, be able to do Zoom and a whole bunch of different things. Uh, and yet, as we go forward, we begin to ask, what is the impact of this technology on our community as we continue to use it? We need wisdom for that. Does live streaming turn us into passive consumers of Christian content? Where's the impact? So we need to be wise, even as we worship in the use of technology. We have to ask these questions. So we need wisdom. Well, what are we talking about when we say wisdom? I suppose a basic definition would be applied knowledge that leads to good judgment, right? That's sometimes what we say when, you know, when we send our kids out into the world and ask them to be wise. Apply all the knowledge that we've downloaded to them. They've forgotten most of it, I know but apply it in such a way that they make good choices with their lives. That's a, a sense of wisdom. But when we come to the Bible, it's actually much more than that. Wisdom in the Bible also has a moral aspect to it. It has a spiritual component. Wisdom in the Bible comes from God and is good. That's what wisdom is about as we come to Scripture. And it's not just a concept, and it's not just a one-off thing. It's actually a direction in life. And that's my invitation over this time, is to think of wisdom not as just something you grab and hold on to, or not something that you use when you have to decide on a one-off experience, but rather wisdom as a way of life. Wisdom as a direction in life. The Bible calls it what? The path of righteousness, of living in a right way with one another and with God and the created order. That's the path of righteousness. So wisdom is the invitation to go along this path. And the fruit of righteousness, the fruit of wisdom, is easily identifiable. It includes humility and integrity and justice and goodness and peace. That's what wisdom brings to our lives. So we need it not just to make decisions, but we need it to live. We need it to live well in the world in which we are living. Wisdom is a way of living in the world. Here's the interesting thing. As we read Proverbs chapter 3 and chapter 8, go home and read them, you'll be astonished at a whole different perspective on the creation story. You get a behind-the-scenes perspective on creation, and you begin to discover that wisdom was with God in the beginning, and that through wisdom, he creates the whole universe. And so wisdom is literally woven through the universe and it's meant to be accessible to us because we are made in God's image and we are called to actually rule and steward the earth, but we can't do it on our own. We're actually meant to do it with this wisdom that God has woven through the universe for us. 
And so we begin to see how important wisdom is. If we're to fulfill our calling in the world, if we're to realize our true identity, if we're to live well in the world, we need this wisdom, this kind of godly wisdom. So how do we get it? Where do I sign up? I hope that's what you're saying right now. Sign me up for more of that wisdom stuff because we need it so badly. Well, the first step, I think, is being able to distinguish between wisdom and folly, wisdom and foolishness. And that's what we're given in Proverbs chapter 9. Sometimes when you think of Proverbs, we think of all the short, pithy sayings, right? I'm sure some of you can think of some Proverbs. My favorite is, go to the ant, thou sluggard, and see their way of life. I just love the old King James Proverbs. That's the best way to read them and ponder them. But most of Proverbs, or not most, but the first part of Proverbs up to chapter 9 is not pithy sayings. It's actually talking about the foundation of wisdom. So chapter 9 is really the tail end of this long introduction to what wisdom is. So go home and read it today, and you'll be astonished at what you learn. But in chapter 9, we're invited to compare and contrast wisdom and folly, and the writer chooses two women. I understand why he chose women for wisdom, right, men? We understand that. Have we ever gone on a trip and needed to ask for directions, right? The women generally are wiser than the men. But he chooses two women, one to represent wisdom and one to represent folly. I'm not sure why. No one really knows, I guess. In Hebrew, the, the um, noun for wisdom is a feminine noun, not according to gender, but according to grammar. It's a feminine noun, maybe that's why. Or maybe it's just because Solomon had a lot of women. He had a lot to compare to. Thousands of them, apparently. And so maybe he, this is, he just wrote what he knew. So he chooses two women. And I don't think we're meant to read too much into that. Uh, if you do any reading at all, you'll discover that some people go down the road of saying that wisdom is the feminine power of God. I'm not sure that's exactly where we're meant to go with this. This is a poem, and this is in poetic form. So let's take it for that. It's a poetic representation of the comparison and contrast between wisdom and folly. So these two women, the first thing we want to see is that they have at least three things in common. Did you catch that? I know that the passage is set up so that it has wisdom at the beginning and then lady folly at the end and then this little bit in the middle. We'll get to that in a section. But if you compare those two sections, the first and the third, you'll see that wisdom and folly have three things at least in common. The first thing is food. We should know this. We're Baptists. Food is a great motivator. Christine's brother is here today, and it's great to have him. I was saying to him last night that when our dog is off-leash, instead of calling her name, all we need to do is shout out, food! And honestly, she comes running. Like, it is the trigger word for her. I do too, by the way. Someone shouts that out, I'm there. But these two women are offering food. In other words, they're offering the promise of satisfaction. That's what we're looking for. I can't get no satisfaction. Well, these women are saying, come to me, and I will make you satisfied. I'll give you the food that you're craving for. So that's one thing they have in common, food. Second thing is house. And the house, I think, represents in some ways a place of security, this promise of security. They're both saying, come to me. 
I will give you the security that you crave. Isn't that one of our deepest longings is to have that sense of security? Not only significance in life, but security in love. And they're saying, come to my house and I will make you secure. The third thing they have in common is a common invitation. It's actually word for word, just about. The common invitation. And they both say it from the, the highest place in the city. This is kind of the promise of inclusion, the promise of embrace. Everyone is welcome to come. They're shouting it from the rooftops, and they're both doing it with the same words. It does remind me of Jesus, who in the temple one time shouted out, Come all you who are thirsty to me, and I will give you drink. Right? So there's parallels there that we'll get into as we go through the series. So that's the common bond. Both have something to offer. Both call out from the highest point in the city for all to hear. And both appeal to our sense of lostness, our confusion, our basic needs. And I think that's why it's very difficult to tell the difference between wisdom and folly. Because once we identify all the benefits of wisdom, sometimes we're tempted to say, well, why don't people just make good choices then? Because I think wisdom and folly are very similar. And folly simply imitates wisdom. It's deceptive that way. It's like when Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness. What did he tempt him with? He used scripture. He's a great imitator. And so folly is also an imitator of wisdom. And that's why it makes it very difficult to discern between the two. And we easily fall for the trap of folly. Why? Because folly is easy. That's the portrayal here, is that folly is actually a prostitute for inviting you in for cheap thrills, and she's going to keep it in secret. No one needs to know. What happens at folly's house stays at folly's house, right? And it seems attractive and easy because wisdom is actually more difficult. Okay, so they have something in common, and yet they are so very different. What are the differences as we contrast them against one another? Well, first of all, think of the food. What is wisdom actually offering? Wisdom offers a feast. I mean, this is a home-cooked meal, isn't it? It's not only home-cooked. I mean, wisdom goes and slaughters her own animals. Wisdom prepares the table herself. Wisdom cooks up some fresh bread. Wisdom cooks up some gravy and lamb and maybe a little mint sauce if you're English, you know. It's all there. It's ready to go. This is a beautiful meal that wisdom is preparing. But here's the most important thing. Wisdom prepares food of her own that she offers to you. What does folly do? Folly actually steals the food. It's not hers to offer in the first place. And what is she offering? Water and bread the food of prisoners. And we don't realize that at first because we're just hungry. Just give me something to fill my stomach. And it's water and bread. And it's not only water and bread, it's not hers to offer. It's stolen food. So there's a difference there. Wisdom and the way that we identify wisdom and wise people is that wisdom is authentic. It's honest, right? This is wisdom's honest offering of her own stuff. Well, the second thing that makes it different, wisdom's house. Did you catch it? Wisdom's house has how many pillars? Seven pillars. I mean, 
We could read into that all kinds of things. The, the seven days of creation, perhaps. Or maybe it's just seven is the perfect number. So this is like, imagine your perfect house. Wisdom is saying, come to that house. The house of perfection. But folly, what is her house? All we hear is that she's got a door. So it seems like a house. But when you get inside, what is it actually? It's a tomb. It's full of dead people. You don't realize that when you're standing at the door and you're hungry and you want some instant satisfaction and you jump on into folly and what do you find? Corpses, rotting. It's a tomb. It's a trap. That's what folly has to offer. So wisdom has integrity. Folly does not. And then the third thing. Accepting wisdom's invitation leads to what? Life. But accepting folly's invitation leads to what? Death. And that reminds me of a verse in Proverbs chapter 14. You probably know it as well. There's a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. That's what's being illustrated before us right here. And that's the choice all throughout the Bible. Adam and Eve, when they were in the garden, they had a choice, didn't they? They had the choice to follow God's words or follow the serpent's words, and they determined what was good in their own eyes. They saw the tree, and Eve says, it, the Bible says, Eve saw that it was good. She determined on her own terms what was good, not on God's terms. And once she determined what was good in her own terms, then she fell into folly, and it led to death. That's the choice that we have. Uh, in Israel, uh, the prophet comes to Israel and says, I've set before you life and death, blessings and curses. So therefore, choose life that both you and your seed may live. Choose life. We have that choice. When it comes to the New Testament, the wages of sin is what? Death. But the gift of God is what? Eternal life. So constantly, we're being set before death and life in our everyday choices, but even in our eternal choices. So, how do we accept the invitation of Lady Wisdom? Because hopefully by now, that's the house you want to go to. I hope no one here is saying, that bread and water sounds pretty delicious, right? That's the idea is that we're painting a good picture of wisdom so that you're attracted in the right direction. So how do we accept that invitation? Well, right in the middle of the passage is Proverbs chapter 9 and verse 10. It says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, to me, that's a weird thing to say. I don't know what I expected, really, but, but the fear? How does fear connect to love? How does fear connect to wisdom? How is the fear of the Lord the beginning of the wisdom? Well, let me say this. The fear of the Lord is not the same as being afraid of God. That sounds contradictory, but listen to it. The fear of the Lord is not the same as being afraid of God. Adam and Eve end up being afraid of God because they did not fear God. That's the important distinction. They end up being afraid of God and hiding from God because they did not reverence and respect God's commands. Because the fear of the Lord means that we obey his commands. What's his greatest command? That we love one another. And so when we don't love one another, we show that we don't truly fear God. That's the connection. In Hebrews chapter 12, we're given a bit more clarity around what does this fear thing look like. It says this, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, 
or a house with seven pillars, right? Let us be thankful. And so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. What an interesting mashup of words. But that's what fear is, to worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, knowing that our God is a consuming fire. When I was 17 years old, I worked uh, for the BC Forestry Service for a summer. And it was a great job. It was kind of crazy and chaotic. We uh, got to go up to this uh, freshly cut power line just up above West Kelowna. And our job was to go up with a bunch of chainsaws and cut down all the scrap trees, pile them in a, in a big uh, kind of slash pile, and then burn them. I mean, what 17-year-old wouldn't want to do that? It's awesome. The crazy thing is, there were five of us, and the supervisor was 19 years old. Now, who thought that was wise? And so we had all these slash piles um, all built up. And uh, the other thing that wasn't wise is they gave us a lot of gasoline. And not only gasoline, my buddy Scott decided it'd be fun to bring his bow and arrow and light it. And that's how we lit the slash piles. And so um, you can imagine what kind of summer I had up there. And so we were having a great time. There was a permit, although we did have the forest firefighters come up and say, what on earth is going on here? Uh, but we lit all these slash piles on fire and we were having a great time when suddenly we realized that the fire had crept along some roots of a tree and two giant Douglas fir trees had erupted in flames. And there's me and my buddy Scott, there's a lot of Scots in my class. And we were there with our chainsaws trying to cut down these giant trees, which we weren't supposed to, in fear now of our lives. What happened there? We didn't respect the fire. <laughs> we didn't have an appropriate fear of the power of that fire. And now because we didn't fear that properly, we were afraid for our very lives and our jobs and everything else that went with it. Thankfully, we got the fire out in time. Just I was going to leave it hanging, let you wonder what happened in the end, uh, but we did not cause a forest fire that summer. So we were not wise because we did not have appropriate respect and reverence for the power that was before us. And as a result, we became very afraid. Well, we need godly wisdom, I think, more than ever. Does it feel that way to you? We need to see godly wisdom in our leaders. We need to see godly wisdom in our churches. We need to see godly wisdom in our families. We need this kind of wisdom. And so let me ask the question, do you feel wise? <laughs> and often the answer, at least for me, is no. I sometimes just do not know what to do. I'm, I'm the simple guy in the passage. I'm the simpleton. I, I'm confused most of the time in life right now. And I'm saying, God, help me. Where am I going to go? So the second question, the follow-up question is this, but do you fear God? Because if we don't fear God in the appropriate way, we will never be able to live a life of wisdom. Let's pray together. Father, we are amazed at your awesome power. Not only the power to create and destroy, which is yours alone, but also the amazing power that you've shown in Jesus where you sent your son to die for us and to forgive us, even though we didn't deserve any of that. Thank you for the power of your mercy and your grace and your love. And we are in awe of the gifts that you've given to us. Father, help us 
to use that as a starting point as we enter this world and so desperately need your wisdom. James says, let anyone who lacks wisdom to ask you. So we're asking today, Father, lead us into that good house, that house of seven pillars, the house with the home-cooked meal and not the fast food restaurant. Father, lead us into that place of wisdom so that we might behave in this world and create goodness and justice, love and peace. We pray in Jesus' great name. Amen. Thank you.